You are worthy of it. You are worthy of it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. As we are standing, we can go to the word of the Lord today. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 3, one verse today. Amen. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Turn to a few people and greet them as you're seated today. In Jesus' name. Man, our, our text today is the opening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as they call it, Sermon on the Mount. It is really Jesus' first sermon, his first public speaking and teaching uh, moment, uh, apart from the time that he was uh, 12 years old in the synagogue uh, talking to the wise people there and, uh, and schooling them. And uh, his words and teachings, they probably were maybe written off a little bit. I mean, here's this 12-year-old boy uh, here talking with us. Uh, but since then, even then, he did confound them and speak wisdom when he was only 12 years old, the Bible tells us. Uh, and so, uh, apart from that event... Uh, which was in the synagogue inside, um, fast forward 18 years. And now Jesus is the publicly accepted and legally recognized age to be a minister of God, 30 years old. Uh, it's when the, the priesthood started when they were 30, and so it's when his ministry started, uh, being the high priest. Uh, and so Jesus being God wrapped in flesh, knew that this day would come. And since Jesus was 30 years of age, we know that he had put a lot of time in preparing for this sermon. We ministers, we prepare for hours to piece together a, uh, a sermon, a lesson. Uh, but Jesus had been preparing for years for this one moment, this one sermon, to start off his ministry. And not just the 18 years since he last spoke to uh, others, and uh, not just the 30 years that he has been on this earth, but since Jesus is God, we can go beyond the 30 years that are confined by this world but because God is eternal and has no beginning and no ending. And so to find out how long the Sermon on the Mount has been preparing, we have to go back millennia. Thousands of years past David and Moses and past Abraham and Noah and even past Adam, even before this world was ever spoken into existence, we have God with a plan with a word, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then one day the Word gets up and stands on a mount, and he opens his mouth and begins to speak to creation. Wow, what, what, a, what a moment, what a, what a time in the history of the world, the, the first public address to the earth, to the ones created by the Almighty God, by his own mouth and lips. And it's not just a, a time of gathering and, and hearing someone speak and talk, <clears throat> because that has been going on for thousands of years, even as long as... Uh, man first learned how to speak and put together a, a speech. There have been great speakers and philosophers and charismatic orators and who have captured the ears and the hearts of those that are listening, but not this day. This day, the Creator stands up. This day, the one who made the very ground that they were sitting upon, this day, the one who spoke all of this into existence, this day, God stands up and he gets ready to address the crowd. What a sermon to hear. Every single word chosen, carefully chosen, Primed and prepared, slow roasted, if you will, for thousands of years. I wonder what he is going to say. What are the first words that God is personally going to speak with his own mouth and lips to people there hearing him? And Jesus opens his mouth and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first words of his sermon. They might not have been what we expected or they expected. They might not have been what other speech givers or orators would have used. But those are the first words spoken out of the actual lips and physical lips and mouth of Almighty God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on speaking in what we refer to as the Beatitudes. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so on, it continues on. And, and it would seem like... Jesus could have chosen any one of the Beatitudes to begin his sermon. I mean, they all start off similar. They all might seem one and the same. Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. But Jesus decided to first say, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first sentence in a paragraph usually sets the context for the rest of the paragraph. The introduction of a book usually lays the foundation for the rest of the book. If the introduction doesn't get you, you're going to put it down. 
Continuing with man's logic, the first words then spoken by Jesus would set the tone and context for the rest of the sermon. And thus, the first words spoken would be the most important. Blessed are they, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus introduces a condition. And then a double benefit for those who meet that condition. The first condition, condition mentioned is to be poor in spirit. And what are the two benefits when you become poor in spirit? And the first is you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, that might, might not make much sense to us. How is someone who is poor in spirit, how are they blessed? And there lies the root of our problem that we try to figure it all out and calculate it out instead of wholeheartedly just accepting it by faith and believing it by faith that if Jesus says we're going to be blessed, then we're going to be blessed. And, and we are over here meddling in it all. Well, I, I don't feel blessed. Well, I, I don't look blessed. Well, I don't have what they have, and uh, I still have these problems, and I, I still have all these pain. And, and when we do that, our reason attacks our faith. We have self-inflicted wounds because we try to figure it all out and it whittles away our faith because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we have these self-inflicted wounds when we try to check off the blessed box. Instead, why don't we just say it and believe it that I am blessed? I am blessed. I, I may be hurting, but I am blessed. I may be struggling, but I am blessed. I may not feel it, but Jesus said, I am blessed, and I'm going to reach for the very words of God that says, I am blessed, and I'm going to hold on to those rather than embrace the dismal details of my situation. You can hold on to your details or you can hold on to what Jesus said. And Jesus' first words tell us how we can be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The second benefit to that condition is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So not only will you be blessed... But Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven will be yours for the taking if you are poor in spirit. You are blessed and you get to make heaven your home. Does anyone have any issues with that? You're blessed and you get the kingdom of heaven. If you are poor in spirit, I, I will bless you and you will get heaven. Does that seem unfair or unreasonable? For Jesus to ask of his hearers to be poor in spirit and I, you will be blessed and you will get the kingdom of heaven. But we, as we know, this is the first benefit among many others listed. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're blessed and you will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. You're going to be blessed. And then you will obtain mercy as well. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, of all those benefits that Jesus mentions, if you had to pick just one, just one, which one would you pick? Talk about tough decision. It's a good list. We, 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 we should seek to fulfill all of them. It's not like we're picking and choosing here. We should be doing all of these things, seeking after all of these things. And we really can't separate them out, but if only one, which one would you choose? I would say choose the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because if I have the kingdom of heaven, don't I have the rest of them? Can you be in heaven and not be comforted? Or be filled or have mercy or see God or, or be a child of God and not be in heaven? Uh, and so not that any of these other ones are less important than the others, but if we fail to do one, it affects the rest of them. Because they are all connected and interwoven, but with a listing of blessings and beatitudes, only one can be said first. And which one did Jesus choose to say first? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how many of us want to be poor in spirit? We got two types of people, those that raise their hand and say, sure, sign me up. And the others are kind of hesitant, asking themselves, well, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I'm not going to volunteer for something and find out later what it is. Uh, so if you're not sure what it means, go and ask somebody who raised their hand because maybe they know. They volunteered for it. But to come to find out, we may not even really even know either. We're just... Saying yes, we know we should say yes, and we'll ask questions later. But it's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Poor in spirit. Is it a is it a paradox? Is it oxymoron? Are they? Is it ironic? What kind of what 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 kind of what is Jesus doing here with his first words that he's chosen to speak in thousands of years? Uh, And we as apostolics know that everything hinges and depends on the Spirit. And so when we are asked, do you want to be poor in spirit, we quickly respond, nope, it's not for me. I want all the spirit I can get. Uh, I want it to be overflowing and and springing up, uh, a living water flowing out, a, a mighty outpouring of the Spirit. That's the terminology and phrases that we're we're used to and accustomed to. Uh, and so that is what how we say it: not be poor in spirit. But isn't that what Jesus said that we must do in order to be blessed and make heaven our home? To be poor in spirit. 
So it, it's got to be important enough for, one, Jesus to say it first. He could have said it last or put it at the very end when everyone's asleep and not paying attention to the sermon. But he decided to say this first so that everyone would hear it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we, uh, we know both words, poor and spirit. But when you put them together, that's kind of where we get stuck poor in spirit. And so let's break it down word by word. What is poor? Uh, what does it mean to be poor? Poor is almost always tied to things, possessions. And to be poor means you have very little of those things or none of those things. Uh, the government defines poverty or poor by uh, based on how much you make. And so if you make $261 or less a week, you are considered poor, according to the government. But if you make $262, you're not poor. So making $1,132 a month, um, that's poverty level. How poor are you really? To the man that sleeps on the park bench, somebody that makes $1,100 a month may not seem poor to him. Somebody who has an air-conditioned home may not be poor. Somebody with a flat-screen TV and a smartphone, they may not be poor. He might say, well, you're not poor. Look at me. I have nothing. I live under a bridge. Every country has its own income-based poverty levels, and a poor American is not as poor as somebody else in another country. I can tell you that. You're still blessed if you're poor here in this country. Go somewhere else and find out how blessed you really are. People barely can barely, barely even make a dollar a day, and, and people are making, uh, poor people here make $1,100 a month. Uh, enough to support pe other people in other countries all year long. And so we really are a blessed people. We are a blessed nation. And the problem is we get, we're so caught up in blessings, we can start getting attitudes and critical of things of what we do not have. But uh, a proper perspective will realize, re reveal that we are a blessed people and we got to make sure we keep our mind and our attitude right in the eyes of God because we can really, if we think we're poor, God can really make us poor. And I, I don't want to go down that road. Let, I don't want God to do that to me. Uh, and so uh, we really are a blessed people. And so uh, I would submit to you that no matter what country somebody lives in, the poorest person is going to be the homeless. Can't really find anyone more poor than them, right? They literally possess nothing. And so we can say the truest meaning of poor, we could say, is to possess nothing. We all possess things, so we, we're not poor. And so you have nothing to hold on to, nothing to claim because you are poor. And I, I think we all understand what it is to be poor, but to be poor in spirit. 
The Spirit, the word here used, I don't think it's referencing the Holy Spirit because Jesus just started his ministry and hasn't even begun to introduce the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so I would think it's safe to say that Jesus is not asking us to be poor in the Holy Ghost or to be poor in the capital S Spirit or to have less of the Holy Ghost. And so he must be referring to our spirit, the spirit of man or our inner being. What, it, what makes us who we are and what drives our actions and our very being, our, if you want to say our conscience or our heart or uh, our spirit, we, I guess we can put those in there, use uh, synonymously. But to be poor in conscience or be poor in heart doesn't really help either. So let's try to break it down a little bit more. When God made male, uh, man, male and female, when he made us, he, he, he made a place in our conscience, in, in our heart, in our spirit that is reserved only for him. Only God can truly fill that space inside of us in our inner being. He is the only puzzle piece that will really actually fit. And it has been the story of mankind searching and hunting and looking for that one thing to fill that emptiness, to fill that void in their spirit. And they, they'll seek after money. But what happens is even rich people commit suicide because they're depressed. So that's out. Money don't help. They seek after power thinking that that's going to fill it, but they only find out that power corrupts and they end up worse off or jail, hopefully. They seek after material things, having the nicest house or the nicest car, the newest one. Or, uh, but the problem with that is that only leads to wanting more because every year a new one comes out. Uh, and so you're stuck in the cycle of wanting the latest and greatest. And so what mankind needs to realize is that there is nothing that we can possess that can give us the joy that God gives us, that gives us the peace that passes all understanding. There's nothing that we can substitute or reach out and grab a hold of to give us the happiness and the fulfillment that God can put in our life and on our spirit other than God himself. And that's what we have come to realize in, in our own life here today, that only God can fill that role in our life because that is way, the way he made us. And to be poor in spirit, if I can give my definition of it, is that we are possessing nothing in our heart. We're poor in our heart. We are poor. We don't have anything that we are holding on to that takes the place of God. I'm poor, Lord, because all I have is you, and you're all that I need. The throne is empty of everything else in my heart, and only God sits there, and that means I have nothing else. I, I possess nothing else. I'm holding on to nothing else, only God, and so therefore I am poor. In spirit. And the first words that Jesus speaks to his people are, blessed are they, the poor in spirit, 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first thing he wants to get out. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that remove everything in their heart, everything in their life that fills the space that belongs to God, those that remove all of that and claim to have nothing, they are the ones that are going to be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because there is nothing in the way of me ruling in their hearts. If they remain poor in spirit, and if, if they continue to possess nothing, then my word will be able to keep them. Then my word will be able to guide them, and it will lead them ultimately into the kingdom of heaven. And so, blessed are they that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because they're not holding on to anything else because they have nothing. They've removed everything, every obstacle, every temptation, every, every hindrance. They've removed every little thing in their spirit that would get in the way of God sitting there. And so they can say that I possess nothing and I am poor. We see this play out in the very first humans, Adam and Eve. So were Adam and Eve, were they poor? By our standards, there's no way that they were poor. They had everything given to them. They had a, a perfect world. They, uh, they, were, they were given dominion over everything. They lacked nothing. They didn't need a mansion. They didn't need an expensive car or boat. They didn't need to go worry about uh, to, to the grocery store. They, uh, they were rich and wealthy. The world was theirs. The world was theirs, and, and yet at the same time, they were poor in spirit. How do we know this? How do we know that there was nothing in their heart or their spirit that was blocking them, uh, blocking God from having access to them and, and ruling in their life and having his word uh, rule uh, in their life is because they walked with God every day. In the cool of the evening, in the cool of the garden, God would come down, his voice would come down, his spirit would come down, and they would walk with God. There was nothing that separated them from God. And so we can probably say uh, with certainty that they were poor in spirit. There was nothing in there. They possessed nothing other than God. God sat on the throne in their heart. They possess nothing that would get in his way and dethrone God. But then one day, something snuck in the garden and snuck in their heart. A talking serpent began talking with them, and he didn't offer them a bigger house. He didn't offer them a big promotion in a different city that there's no church truth preaching church he didn't offer them a nicer car or a gold bullion uh, he didn't offer them a, a better job that would keep them away from church no all the serpent did was just drop a little seed in their spirit little lust never hurt anybody right a little desire for something you cannot have and soon, 
Adam and Eve became rich. Their hearts swelled, filled with pride, and they wanted to do something that they wanted to do. They wanted to go after that tree, that forbidden fruit, that forbidden tree. Now with their heart rich with pride and lust and desire, now they were going to go after whatever they wanted to do regardless of what the Word of God said. And so because they were rich now, there was no room for God. They had no need for him because they were rich, and they had what they wanted. They had the fruit, and then God comes down in the, in the cool of the day just like any other day except this day. Adam was not there. Eve was not there. When the king of your heart shows up and you're not there, he's no longer the king, is he? When the king shows up and we don't give him the awe and respect that deserves, he deserves, and he's not really the king, is he? That he's been dethroned, he's been kicked off the throne, and someone else or something else has taken his place. Adam and Eve were no longer poor in spirit, but now they were rich. It doesn't have to be a lot of things. It doesn't have to be expensive things. All it has to be is just one thing. One thing to get in your heart, to get in your spirit, and to begin to swell. And pretty soon, it'll take the place of God. In your life. One thing will move you out of the poor bracket from possessing nothing to now possessing something. And so that is why Jesus said, those that are poor in spirit are blessed. Because his word will rule in your heart once you possess something other than him, you will begin to disobey his word. It won't keep you any longer from the world of sin because now you have something else in your spirit and in your heart other than what should be in there. Uh, but holding on to nothing will allow God's word to keep you. It'll allow God's word to guide you because you have nothing else, no other distractions or temptations. You've laid everything down saying, God, I don't, I'm not attached to anything. I don't possess anything. All that I want one is you, and then if you are like that, if you meet that condition, then the word of God can lead you to the kingdom of heaven because there's nothing going to get you in the way. And so when the word of God says you must be born of the water and of the spirit to enter into the kingdom of heaven, if you are poor in spirit and you're not holding on to anything, you're going to say, yes, I need to do that because that's what the word of God says. But if there's something in your heart that you're holding on to, you're going to think twice about that. Well, do I really have to get, be born of the water? Do I really have to be born of the spirit? That's so, that just tells uh, everybody else you're not poor in spirit. That you're rich because you're holding on to something. 
And the word of God cannot lead you to the kingdom of heaven because uh, you are rich with something else, another idea, or family traditions, or uh, our family's all done this for hundreds of years. Well, you hold on to that, or you're going to hold on to the word of God. Uh, and so either you're going to let go of everything, all uh, all. all, all preconceived ideas or all, uh, all traditions or all these other things. You have to let those go and, and to claim to God, I am poor in spirit because I possess nothing. I'm not holding on to anything. And if that's what your word says that I need to do, if I need to repent of my sins, then I if I, give me an altar, Lord. If I need to go get baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of my sins, then I'm not going to let anything stand in my way. If I need to be filled with your spirit and speak in other tongues as the spirit gives the others, that's what I'm going to do because I am poor in spirit and I possess nothing. There's nothing in the way of me and you, God. Nothing in the way of me and your word. So lead me, Lord. That is why Jesus says you're blessed because you're poor. Does not this also line up with the first commandment? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. If you possess no other gods, then you are poor. Poor in spirit. Don't, uh, don't get distracted because... Uh, the very definition of poor is tied to and defined by material things or the lack of material things. But poor in spirit is not just about external things. Because the spirit is immaterial, the spirit is internal, and Jesus said we need to be poor internally. He's not worried about your external uh, status in society if you're sleeping under a bridge or you're, you're in a mansion. That's not what he's talking about because it's tied poor in spirit and spirit is on the inside. So you got to be poor inside. What? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of a man. It's the inside that determines it all. The internal is more important and more powerful than the external. And so, so, Pastor, are you saying that I don't have to be poor, that I can drive a nice car and live in a nice house and still make it to heaven? Well, my answer is it depends how much lust is in your heart for those things. How much greed do you have internally for that car? for that nice house or for that, for that nice uh, way of living. It, it's not the nice car that you have to give up. It's the greed and the lust and the pride that's on the inside that drives us to get those things. That's where we need to become poor. That's the problem. That's where we can become rich, rich in pride, rich greed, rich in lust, whatever, to fill in the blank, rich and whatever. If you can't give up the car, now the car has become a problem because the inside has reached to the outside and is attached to the, out, the physical. 
And so if he can't depart with anything physical, then uh, the physical has now become a problem as well uh, because now uh, you are possessing something. Now you're really literally holding on to a, a car or whatever or holding on to pride, and it's the same thing uh, you're possessing, holding on to pride or holding on to a car. Same thing because it comes down to the actual possessing of something holding on to it, oh, uh, 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 where your heart is, there will your treasure be. And so if your heart is in the physical things, that's where your treasure is going to be. If your heart is in the immaterial, then uh, you'll seek after the truth and the word of God. So, oh, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to be poor. Help us, Lord, to be poor in spirit so that you are my only treasure, so that uh, my heart is only for you because we know that if we have God, if we have Jesus in our life, we have everything we need. Why do we get hung up on we need other things besides Jesus? No, if we have Jesus, we've got all that we need. It doesn't matter what we have or don't have. We are rich if we have God because he can supply all of our needs. He can make manna and he can make bread and he can turn water uh, bitter into sweet and he can do whatever it is that we need. If we just have God, we have everything we need. And that's a cliche in the church. We know that saying, but do we live it? Do we believe it? Do do we live it every day or do we wake up rich with other things and uh, uh, other uh, material things or immaterial things? And, And how much do we really depend upon God? And how poor are we really? Thankfully, the Bible is not just filled with whose lives end in failure and disobedience like Adam and Eve. There are those who pass the poverty test that we can look to for encouragement. One man that did so was named Abram. The Bible does not say that he was a poor man. In fact, it states that he was, it's the opposite, Genesis 13 and 2. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. That would That settles that he's rich. He's got more than I do. And so Abram had a lot of external things. A lot of cattle, a lot of silver, a lot of gold. But did he really possess anything? And by that I mean, did any of those things possess his heart or his spirit? You can have stuff, but not possess them. You can have a lot of things, but possess none of them. Really, that's how we are supposed to live. Didn't Jesus say we are in this world, but not of this world? The only way you can truly live that is not to, uh, to be here and have everything, but not to possess anything because none of this is coming with us, and I don't want to bring any of this with me into heaven. I'm going to let it all go because I'm going to possess nothing uh, so that I can have everything that God wants me to have in the kingdom of heaven. And so you can have things, just don't possess them. Just don't let them have you. And that's where the, the rubber meets the road. Do the things that you have, do they have you? And if they have you, 
then that's an issue. Then you're, you don't have God in your heart. Then you're not poor in spirit. Because if, if God says, give that up, go sell that for me of my kingdom, give it to the give it to the kingdom of God or to the church or the poor. And if we can't do that, then that's possessing us. It's amazing that uh, Abram had a lot of things. He was rich. Um, but yet it seems like he never, those things never really possessed him. But yet the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Lord, what must I do to be uh, saved? And what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And I've, I've kept all the commandments. I've done all these things since my youth. I've been faithful to church member. I haven't missed a service. I haven't done all these things. And, and Jesus said, go sell all you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. He was rich in possession, but yet he was also rich in his spirit. Because he could not give up any of those things. He, I'm not going to be poor. I'm not going to be poor in spirit and only be dependent upon you and following you. And uh, you have no place to lay your head. And you're, 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 uh, you're kind of a nomad. You're just kind of walking through the world. You don't have a home of your own. And I have all, this, all these possessions uh, uh, that possess me. And so I can't give them up to follow you. And so he went away sorrowful. And that would lead me to believe that he probably did not inherit the kingdom of heaven unless he had a change of heart because he could not live up to the life of being poor in spirit. Musicians, if you would come, Abram had lots of possessions. But the one thing that he did not have was a son. He did not have an heir. And that is the one thing that he longed for. He and Sarah, they, they made it happen through Hagar. They had a son, he got a son, but God said, Ishmael is not the son, Abram. Nice try. He's not the son that I've promised to you. Uh, he is not the one from your loins that I have promised. And so... In all of this time, Abram is still learning to walk by faith, learning to listen to God and learning to trust in his word. It, it took some time, some bad decisions, bad choices, but I, I think Abram finally, finally got to the point where he realized what God was asking of him. And that was to become poor in spirit. Because he had riches and wealth, and when he was given the choice between the well-watered plains of Jordan or continue living in the, in the, out in, in the wilderness, if you will, what did he choose? He let Lot choose the well-watered plains because... Someone who is rich in cattle, they need well-watered plains if you're going to continue to have that herd and that livestock. And, and so the fact that Abram was not concerned at all that Lot chose the well-watered plains of, of Jordan, and, and so that meant Lot would stay out where they were. 
He was not concerned about that at all. That leads me to believe that he became poor in spirit, that Abram wasn't concerned about how well watered those things were. He knew that God would provide the rain. He knew that God would water whatever grass that his, his cattle was upon. Uh, and so uh, because of that, he chose God instead of more things. He chose God instead of the well-watered plains of Jordan. And see where that led Lot uh, when he chose the, the nice-looking things of this world. It's just going to lead you to, to, to further and deeper into this world. Uh, and so Abram chose God instead of more things. So he too was striving to be poor in spirit. Even though he had a lot of things, a lot of silver and gold and, and cattle, he was rich by our standard. But yet here this rich man was striving to be poor in spirit. And because of that, God blessed him, and God gave Abram the son of promise, Isaac. The one thing that Abram prayed for and hoped for finally came. The blessing arrived, and, and Abram loved the blessing more than Ishmael, and that caused tension and division in the family and that caused Hagar and Ishmael to flee because Abram now favored and loved his one true son more than the other one. And now all of Abram's focus and attention was on Isaac. I mean, how could it not be? He's like 70, he's 100 years old and he finally has a, a son finally has a kid. He's been wanting all his life. And now at 100, he finally has it. And, and so you can understand, of course, he's going to uh, pour his love into this son, his child, his only child, true, true son of promise. And uh, it's gonna be the, he's going to be spoiled beyond compare. And uh, everything that Abram has, ever, has uh, accumulated in his life, he's poured into his son. He, he loves his son dearly. Uh, uh, and so much... That maybe, maybe Abram was letting the promise of God, the blessing of God, begin to seep in to his heart, seep into his spirit, into the place where only God should be. I've seen this happen, and I'm sure you have too. Where somebody is desperately praying and seeking for something from God and, and God answers their prayer and they, they finally get it and, and the blessing comes in their life and, and they're overjoyed and, and there's, they're over themselves and uh, uh, the blessing is there finally. But what happens is the blessing creeps in to their heart, creeps into their spirit and what happens, it dethrones God. And now they don't need him anymore. They don't need God anymore. I got what I've been praying for. When they were poor in spirit, they, they met with God and walked with God. But now that they have been blessed, now they are rich. And now they hide from God. They're nowhere, they don't show up when he shows up. You don't see them. Are they, are they in church? Do they get what they want? 
When God shows up, they're nowhere to be found. Why? Because now they're rich. They got something. It only needs to be one thing. So be careful when God actually gives you what you've been asking for. Be careful for the answer to your prayer uh, because if God does give you that answer and he does bless you with it, you need to make sure you handle it properly and that blessing, that answer to prayer doesn't move to the top of your list, but that stays down below because we know at the top that's where God belongs. There's nothing else that should come before God. Even if it's a blessing from God, he still needs to remain in the, on the throne in your heart and you still need to remain poor in spirit. Even if that means letting go of the very blessing that God gave you, the thing that you've been praying for, and if God gives it to you, would you be able to let it go? When Hannah was praying desperately for a son, God answered her prayer. And what did she do? Say, I'm giving him back to you. Samuel, here you go, Lord. Thank you for the blessing. But I'm going to remain poor in spirit because I want to make the kingdom of heaven my home. Got to be careful with the blessings because we can pour so much attention and heart and love into them that they begin to swell up in our heart. And they can be that one thing that makes us rich instead of poor. Don't let the blessing dethrone God and cause you to backslide because God blessed you. With each day that passed, Abram's heart was full, maybe a little too much. And then it happened. Genesis 22 and 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, Behold, here am I. Abraham was, Abraham, I, I, I'm noticing something in your spirit that wasn't there before. Abraham, you once were poor. You once had nothing. And you once held on to nothing but me. But now, it seems like something's, something's creeping in. Something's getting too close to my throne in your heart. And I'm sad to say that it is the very thing that I blessed you with. And so he goes on to say, take now thy son. Thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountain which I will tell thee of. You can just feel the heaviness that came upon Abraham. His head sank. His heart deflated. But nonetheless, the next day, Abraham grabs Isaac and they head out. And I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind for those 
three days. But they finally get there and they get up to the mountain. And all the while, God's still waiting. God's still watching. Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Will he keep his heart and spirit pure and clean for me? Will he remove anything that puffs up and threatens my throne in his heart? God could have stopped him at any time, but the time had to be right in order to truly see what was in Abraham's heart. So Abraham ties down his son on that altar, holding, fighting back the tears in his eyes, his one only son, one that he wanted for so long. And he grabs the knife and he raises his arm back. And right at the point of no return, right before that momentum, begins to change and the downward thrust begins. Right then, God interjects and says, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything upon unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from he could have stopped him at the beginning of the mountain. I'm sure Abraham would have been grateful there, but that would that really have revealed what was in Abraham's heart? The only way he could have realized is when there's a point of no return where if, if he goes any further, that knife is coming down. And that's when you really know what is in Abraham's heart. And that is... Uh, Abraham showed God that while he possessed many things, he was rich in this world, he still possessed nothing, not even his only son. He was still poor in spirit. There was nothing that came between Abraham and God, not even a son. And that is what we can call the poverty test. To see whether or not we are poor in spirit. And everyone will say, yeah, I want to be poor in spirit. They'll know what you're asking for. Either we're holding on to God or we're holding on to something else. It doesn't matter what it is. It's something other than God. But there will always come a test Will you hold on to his word and let God be your only treasure or will you possess whatever makes you rich? Could be money, lust, greed. Could even be bitterness. Hold on to bitterness, you can't hold on to God. Unforgiveness. See, we've got to let things go. We've got to let them go and become poor. It's okay to become poor. It's okay to possess nothing because if I possess nothing, then that means I have everything I have in God. 
because he is ruling in my heart not fighting for the throne in my heart, but I've cleared out the path. I've prepared the way for him. I've removed everything. I've let go of everything. And so, God, I, I am possessing nothing. And now I truly am poor in spirit. Stand with me today. The very first words of Jesus addressing the public. What does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First words of the first sermon of Jesus seem to cut the deepest and get right to the heart of the matter. Either you're poor or you're rich. Either you have nothing or you have something. And that is the test of every believer. Even the very one that uttered those words, he too had to face this test, this poverty test. Even though he had no place to lay his head, just because you have no external possessions doesn't mean you get to skip the test. One thing that Jesus did have was a body, was an earthly life. And that too can come between us and God. And so there in the garden, Jesus was battling the hardest battle of them all to keep his spirit poor. Letting go of your life to fulfill the will of God. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, not as I want. I want to hold on to this life. I don't want to feel the pain and the suffering. That's what I want. That's what makes me rich, to escape those things. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. i got to let it go. got to let my life go. got to let those things go. Is there something that has replaced your desire for the things of God? Is there something that you desire more than going to church? Desire more than reading the Word of God or desire more than spending time with Him? Did working for the kingdom give you the most joy and satisfaction but now you're getting satisfaction elsewhere? You're calling me to reach the lost and make disciples is is that calling still there is that burden still moving in our hearts do we still feel that or has it been replaced by something else oh lord help me to be poor help me to be poor in spirit so that you are my only treasure that i'm not holding on to anything else
I'm going to open up these altars today for those who want to come kneel before the Lord and to lay your heart out, to pour out yourself, to say, God, search me today, Lord. Search me, Lord. Search my heart. Is there anything in there, God, that I'm holding on to, that I'm putting in front of you that I may not even realize it, God, but I feel rich and satisfied in this area, but does that mean you are still the throne in the throne of my life? Come on, will you come and lay your life down? Will you lay your desires down and say, I don't need any of this. I don't want to hold on to this, but I need to be poor today. I need to become poor in spirit. God, let me... Let go of my pride, lust or greed, bitterness or unforgiveness, or whatever it is, God, search me today. Come on, will you come? Will you come and seek the face of God? Create in us a clean heart today. Renew a right spirit in us. Come on, will you come? Surrender to him today. Sure, but I just want to make sure that there's nothing in my heart. There's nothing that I'm holding on to. Holy Spirit, come and let it go today. Lead me, Jesus, to that thing that's being a distraction. I can't pinpoint it now, but God, lead me to it. Help me to put that on the altar.
You're the one we're living for. 
today. Lord, there's nothing, God, we want besides you. Hallelujah, Lord, that you are everything to us. Hallelujah, we need you most of all. Hallelujah. As being, being physical creatures, we can easily so get caught up in things in this world, desires, wants of our hearts, and even feelings. We always got to go back to the poverty test to make sure that they're, those things, whatever they are, whatever we have, that we don't possess them, that we can easily let them go if God asks us to, and that we can, He can remain the King in our heart and nothing gets in the way. Amen. And that's that not just a, a one-time thing, but that should, should be a daily thing daily check of our heart and spirit that there's nothing in the way and then the kingdom of heaven will be ours amen what a what an amazing sermon from jesus starting out man everything he says we need to hold on to it and, and cherish it because his words are life aren't they they cut they cut to the heart of the matter help cut it out whatever needs to be out and he'll heal heal us prepare us and make us even better. Amen. Just as long as we're willing to let go. Amen. God bless you all. Don't forget to grab the uh, the prayer, prayer request things for the late night coming up next weekend. Amen. Don't forget that we got the, the Panera, but if you want bread out back, uh, grab that. And before we go, uh, we want to uh, sing a happy birthday to Sister Bruce. Amen. She's not going to get out of here without us recognize her. So happy birthday, Sister Bruce. Amen. I hope you have a blessed day. A happy birthday to you. A happy birthday to you. May you feel Jesus near every day of the year. A happy birthday to you. A happy birthday to you. And the best year you've ever had. One more time. A happy We love you. We appreciate you. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed today in Jesus' name.